Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish, yeah. what are you drinking today? I'm drinking tea. It is called Full Moon Chai Tea. It's got cardamom, ginger, clove, cinnamon, and butternut extract. It's just nice tea. Wait, and what extract? Butternut extract. I've never heard of that. I think they're making it up. So, huh. no idea what that is. Anyway, it's one I'm of those a little bit dubious on loose that. leaf teas thing, you know. But it's good. Okay. I approve. What about you? What All you right. drinking? Where, where'd you get it? Oh, sorry. Where did, where did you get the tea from? Um, they sent it to me like a year ago as a way of promotion, I think. And I have not heard from them since. Hmm. So, it showed up in my P.O. box. Hopefully, I'm not going to like fall over in the middle of this because it's laced with something. But I've actually drunk this a lot. Um, so, okay. it's safe. It's a legit thing. I've looked them Tis. up. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. How about you? Just fascinated by tea. Yeah. In fact, I'm so fascinated by tea that today I'm drinking tea also, Ooh. which I feel like that's a bit of a change for me. Yeah. You don't always drink tea. Yeah. Today I am drinking uh, the tea constant comment. Oh, yeah. Which is an orangey black tea. It's a good one. I'm sure. Or spiced black tea. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a bunch of people listening Yep. Uh, love constant comment, particularly it feels like everybody drinks this normally like from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Right. right. And I guess I'm in a Christmassy mood today because I'm drinking it. Well, so. and you're looking at snow right now, which is fun for those of us in the South. Mm. I am looking at snow. It's beautiful. We got about five inches here in Fayetteville last night. And it's that really kind of like wet snow. Um, it's stuck around on the ground hmm. pretty pretty well um but not on the road so much because it was a little bit warm yesterday but um but yeah so we we still have a few inches out there it's beautiful Mm -hmm. um but it's very very slippery and very very wet well isn't that kind of the best of both worlds like it's stuck on the ground but not on the road so it's kind of safe or it is yeah it is it is but it's it's again like i mean you know this from you know, living in Oregon for a while for in Bend, but it's that like super, super powdery snow that like when you put your foot down, you just like sort of go all the way down to the ground because yeah. it was so fluffy and so powdery. And then when it turns wet, it's just slushy, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, I know what you mean. So it's still very beautiful, but it, it and it is kind of the best of both worlds, but it's awful sledding, uh, sledding snow. Well, that so. was going to be my next question. Are your boys the type that whenever it snows, because you're in the South and it doesn't, like always know do they like flip out and go play or are they just kind of like eh, whatever i mean so we we actually I, I like to tell people we're not actually southerners here although we kind of are like northwest arkansas is sort of its own weird little thing and it's kind of yeah. a gateway to the midwest so we have tons of like southern sort of culture stuff but we also have tons of sort of midwestern mm-hmm. vibe to us um and i think that where i see the midwestern vibe come out the most is when it snows uh <laughs> because we get enough we don't get a ton but we get enough of it that the kids will play in the first snow and then after that they're kind of over mm-hmm. it they're kind of like i don't want to go out and get cold and wet i'd rather just sit here and you know play video games yeah Honestly, the worst part of or playing in the snow is the prep, like the getting all the layers on. And at some point, yes. it just stops yes. being worth it. So, Yes. And taking all the layers off <laughs> right. after you're wet right. 
and cold. That's awful. Yep. And so, you know, that yeah, they're they're not really they're not really into it for that reason. It's like I've already done this once this year. <laughs> and we we actually had three snows before Thanksgiving. Oh wow. Which I've never Okay. I've never experienced that before. They weren't long snows. Mm-hmm. They were kinda like this. They'll probably be on the ground you know, they were on the ground two or three days mm-hmm. and they disappeared. But yeah. Um but yeah. So this is a lot of okay. a lot of snow. We're talking an awful lot about snow. I know right we now, sound which kind has of very old. Little to do. We keep talking about the weather. I know people are going to be bored. Yeah, <laughs> and every time we talk about the weather, I think of you saying "old man shakes fists at sky." I know. Yeah, I'm feeling like we're we're what is it that you're not supposed to talk about with the weather? I don't know. There's like three things, and Death. that's one of them. Death, taxes, probably I don't know. death. Your hip, your hip, uh, hip ailments, and the weather. Yeah, yeah, health taxes. I don't know. I'm making stuff up right now. So let's change the subject. Let's yeah, not pro- talk about snow anymore. Whatever. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. You you and I have been talking, uh, texting a little bit offline today about, you know, things that have sparked your interest, uh, things that interest you to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, things that you and I haven't really talked about that much, which is surprising because I feel like we've talked about a lot. I know. I know. At some point, you kind of think, what else is there to talk about? But there's actually stuff we haven't always talked about. So um, especially yeah, when I think true. of, I don't. I know you hear from some of your readers, but I do too about what they want to hear us talk about. And yes. it kind of surprises me what they want to hear us talk about. A lot of it's like getting into the nitty gritty of, of some of our choices that we've made, such as being Catholic, such as education, I've been told they would like me to talk more about. Um, So I think we have a collective audience of kind of some nerds and kind of some deeper thinkers. And I say, let's just go with that. Let's, let's kind of nerd out and perhaps start with a little bit of foundational stuff today. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I've always been more comfortable uh, with nerds. Me too. Um, And so if you're listening to this podcast, there's a high likelihood that you are. (laughs) I know. Like you are also yeah. uh, more comfortable with nerds and in fact might be one. Probably. So welcome. Yeah. We are your people. Yeah. We're here for you. And so today we're going to launch into a super nerdy topic that's going to employ a uh, different language, in fact. It is. And in fact, it's like possibly the nerdiest of languages, except perhaps um, Elvish. Elvish. <laughs> perhaps yeah. not Elvish. Yep. We were there together. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. So it's Latin. Um, and it's this phrase that uh, I have only heard of in the past year, but I feel like I'm hearing it everywhere now. And it is Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi. And then I have heard an additional take on it, which is Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, Lex Vivendi. <laughs> and so I have been nerding out on it, looking it up, seeing what smart people say about it the past few months and even wrote up a really nerdy thing for myself because that's kind of how I learn. Like I I tell myself what I think by writing. Um, And so I've unpacked it a lot and it actually applies to regular life a whole heck of a lot. And I bet it does to our listeners. Well, it it does to our listeners because it kind of gets into like human anthropology. So I thought we would unpack that phrase Mm -hmm. and maybe what it means because it'll apply to future episodes and we can probably just point people back to this one to say, okay, first listen to this one and now let's get into whatever the topic is. So have you heard that phrase before? I have, I have. And I, the first time I heard it, I thought maybe it was a villain. Lex (laughs) Arandi was maybe a villain in Superman. Right. Like Lex Luthor. Wasn't, yeah, wasn't he the bald guy? Yeah. He was Lex Luthor's brother, Lex Arandi. <laughs> um, so tell us, mm-hmm. where were you when you first 
heard the phrase? Do you even remember? And what does it mean? <laughs> That's funny, as though it matters where I was. I was actually listening to a podcast and I heard it on a show and someone unpacked it. And then, you know how like whenever you get a new car, you start seeing that car everywhere? It was the same idea. Mm, yes. It was like, okay, God, yeah. gotcha. I'm supposed to figure this out. So um, that was just the first time. But it's official Latin translation, like the the word by word translation is the law of prayer is the law of belief. And if you were to add the Lex Vivendi part, it's the law of prayer is the law of belief is the law of how we live. But that's kind of clunky in English. So essentially what it means is what we believe and how we, well, let me just say how we pray affects what we believe which affects how we live. And so I'll bet you most listeners are thinking like, yeah, duh, that's kind of obvious. But it's kind of interesting how it applies because they're not saying what you believe affects how you pray. It's the other way around. How you pray affects what you believe. And so it's that weird idea of um, acting your way into a new way of thinking is easier than thinking your way into a new way of acting. You know, and that's easy to understand when you're talking about like working out. You don't wait till you feel like working out. You just do it. And then you because you have a belief that or no, you have an action that you know is good for you. And then it affects what you believe. Oh, this is good for me. And I do it for X, Y and Z reasons. Um, It's that same idea, but it's kind of really broad about sort of how we live our lives. So it's really interesting that it starts with how we pray. And smart people, old organizations such as the Catholic Church, but other, you know, other, I guess, traditions equip or, you know, have embraced this idea too, because what they're basically saying is how we pray is a form of liturgy, you know, um, yeah. the liturgy of how you interact with God leads to everything else in your life. So, Seth, I want to ask mm-hmm. you if anything like initially comes to your mind as how that might look in your life or how it has looked in your life before. Yeah, I think the fascinating thing about the phrase is not the statement as read forward, but the statement as examined backwards, mm-hmm. which I know that's a really weird way to put that. But, um, you know, my Substack is called The Life Examined, and it's not just about like, life. It's about examining short stories and examining, you know, the snow that came this January and examining your spiritual formation and examining everything. It's just about examination. But when I uh live when I when I look at that phrase through this this idea of the examined life, um, the first thing it makes me think of and has always made me think of is like um and I've actually never heard it without the Vivendi part which is interesting. Hmm, okay. Um, but it's, if I'm not living in a particular way, right? If I'm not living out the thing that I project or that I say I believe, then the question is, where is the gap between the way I live and the, and the belief that I own? And then where is the gap between the belief that I own and the way I'm praying? Mm-hmm. So examining it backwards and saying, am I actually living properly into... Uh, prayer into liturgy? Am I actually moving in the ways that would, that would sort of prove that I believe and, um, and, and pray a certain way? Yeah. And that's, for me, that's a thing that's been really, um, 
helpful. Um, and it's not just, I mean, again, this is not just a Catholic phrase. Like I think the first time I may have heard it was when we were in the Anglican church, but I've heard, um, various people use this. I've heard Episcopalians use it. I've actually heard Bible church Protestants use it. Mm. Um, but, but the power in it to me is just this idea that, like you said, prayer affects belief, belief affects the way we live, but like sort of deconstructing it and running it backwards, you get to find all of the weird gaps in your life where you're like, maybe I don't really believe that yeah. much. Um, it reminds me of that, of a quote from, her name is Sister Helen Prejean. I'm not sure I'm saying her last name right, but she's the mm-hmm. woman who's um, a big activist about um, the death penalty. She's uh, Dead Man Walking, that movie. I follow her on Twitter. Yep. And she said one time, I look to my actions to know what I believe. And mm. and basically what she's saying is you might say you believe something, but if you're not acting it out, then do you actually really believe it? And so I think in yeah. some ways there is, it is kind of that like cyclical thing here that they kind of, you can't really separate one from another at all. Um, yeah. I do appreciate how for me, this idea has applied to back when, how we first went from like just sort of a mainstream evangelical tradition to an Anglican church, which then eventually led us to the Catholic church. Um, one of the appeals was the liturgy because it felt like I was joining something old and some joining something big. And it didn't ask me to decide for myself what I thought. Now I can see how like now as a Catholic, it, it still did in some ways, but I won't get into that at this point. That's for a future episode. Um, there's something about old liturgy that allows you as a person to go and stand there and recite it. Heck, maybe even not recite it, but like just listen to it. Let it be, you know, kind of wash mm-hmm. over you mm-hmm. and to trust that really smart people who've been around for thousands of years before you said these things. They're still being said today. So maybe there's some truth to them and it's not really dependent yeah. on me and what I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, the, one of the um, most beautiful parts of the mass to me, um, and again, this is in various liturgical traditions, but is when you recite the creed. Mm-hmm. You know? um, again, the entire mass is a uh, prayer. The entire service is a prayer. The liturgy is a prayer. But there's that moment where you say, um, I believe, you know, and then you, you, you go through this, this creedal, this creedal faith. Um, and, and there's something about that as an embodiment that says, I am praying this thing, this prayer indicates what I believe. And then the hope is that when you leave that, that moment, that liturgy, you go out and you actually live the things that you said, mm-hmm. um, that you believe. Yeah. The Lex Vivendi part the of whole, that. That's the whole purpose and thrust of the liturgy. Right, right. Because it's what it's ultimately saying is it's not really about you and what you think. It's about how you embody this in real in real time. You know, we're we're temporal people. We're not we have bodies, we live in time and space. What are you gonna do with that? You know, it's all well and good to yeah. unpack what you think. So to me, um, it gets into this idea of telos, this idea of purpose, like what are we made for as human beings? And so, um, you know, there's this idea of justice or no, sorry. Um, this idea of religion is, uh, officially the, the, the way the correct sort of 
definition of religion is justice toward God. It's like giving God what God is owed in a weird way. Like it's right worship, you know? Um, And I think of that David Foster Wallace quote from his pretty well-known speech, This is Water, where he says, um, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And he was an agnostic. So the fact that he even acknowledged that is a big deal. Um, And I mentioned that in my Substack this week, just this idea of like, we are worshiping creatures. Like we're not, even though we think we're thinking creatures, we're actually loving creatures. Like we're made what we really what we really are is worshipers. And so it's a matter of like yeah. aligning how we live with what we believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the questions or one of the things that um, going back to the previous statement about living it backwards is the way that you operate in your body on a day-to-day basis. Um, it, it can indicate what are the things that you actually worship? What are the things that you believe? <laughs> what are the things that influence that belief? Right. And, yeah. and, um, I know it's kind of weird to call like media messages prayer or, you know, whatever, conversations with friends prayer. But the ways we talk with our friends, the ways we listen to music, all of those things sort of do affect the way we believe and they affect the way that we sort of live out our lives. And so my question for you is, have you noticed areas of your life where you feel, I don't know if malformed is the right way to say it, or if you mm-hmm. feel like a little out of sorts or maybe wonky um, and you can say, wait, why, why do I do this if I actually say I believe this other thing? Like, have you, have you noticed that in your, yeah. in your own life? 100%. And in fact, you know, looking back, hindsight being 2020, I can see that that's precisely why something felt like an itchy sweater that just didn't fit right. You know, that it wasn't just mm-hmm. my, like, I don't like this. I want to take my ball and play elsewhere. It was because something didn't actually line up with the core talos of what I felt like. I'm here for, um, you know, not, I'm not shamelessly plugging the rule of life concept that I talk about all the time, but that's really kind of it. Like when you name your rule of life, you're also kind of naming your Lex Vivendi. And when you do that, you, you can look back and see like, oh, it's based on something that I actually believe. Um, and so yeah. for me, it's like an easy example is this idea of, um, the idea that beauty matters. And in fact, that's kind of what that mm-hmm. Lexa Rondi idea is applied to a lot, that right worship looks like embodying beauty. And so I remember feeling like I didn't belong where we would go to church. And the sound – I don't mean it in a bougie or high-maintenance way. The church wasn't beautiful enough. It wasn't that. It was this idea of like we're not elevating a sense of beauty. We're acting like that's just kind of an afterthought. If it works out well that the carpet color is the right choice, then hey, great. But otherwise, who cares? Those things actually affect how we worship and how ultimately how we view God and yeah. um, how we live our lives, really. Uh you know, again, I'll get into this when we get into kind of the part twos of of why we're Catholic, but there is something to be said about sun masses being utterly different than the rest of the week. Like they're they are yeah. weird. <laughs> like they are not seeker friendly or whatever the term is. You know, they're not supposed to make us feel comfortable. They're supposed to make us look upward. They're supposed to call us to something higher. And so the idea of beauty mattering, um, I think, 
I can see in different areas like, oh, this is why if we should care about beauty in our homes because they're domestic monasteries. Mm-hmm. This is why we should seek out the natural world because that's actually a glimpse of heaven on earth. Like this is what God mm-hmm. God formed in our talos. So to me, beauty is a huge way that I see that. Um, but then there's lots of other mm-hmm. practical things like choices I make about how we spend our time and our money yeah. and all that. But I don't know. I want to hear from you. Yeah. Like, how does this look in your day-to-day? Yeah, no. I mean, I think about it all the time. I mean, there are things that I um, do and things that I say that, um, like, the public-facing persona may be one way, but the private persona may be the other, right? Yeah. So, like, I say very much that I – you know, I'll just use an example. I say very much that I care about the poor and in a sense I do. And that's true. Um, and in a sense, you know, there are things that, that my family does to, to, to really embody that sort of justice mission. But like, I can't tell you the last time I went to a soup kitchen and actually served Mm. like give money. That's easy, but go to a soup kitchen, give my time. That's very difficult. Yeah. Um, and so why is that? So where is the disjunct? Sure. There was the, why is it so disjointed? You know, what, why is what's lacking there? Now, here's what I can tell you. If I wind that back, I can say, I believe that it's uh, part of the Christian mission to give to the poor. I could probably also like, um, you know, like signal that like virtue signal that on the internet a lot. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's, that's what we tend to do, right? It's virtue signaling those things. Yeah. Um, but if I say, well, why haven't I actually found myself in a soup kitchen in you know recent times? Um, then I go back and I can say, well, have I been praying for those opportunities? Mm-hmm. Like, have I actually been praying in a way that would lead me to believe, that would lead me to act? Yeah. Um, and like, I was kind of vulnerable, I guess, for this podcast group, but no, I really don't. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't done that. And so... Um, for me, I think it's, it's really easy to look at those gaps and those deficiencies, like the areas where I'm always like going to Amber or the kids or the priest or whatever and say, man, I really screwed that up, you know? Um, but yet how many times do I then circle back and say, okay, well now how can I change the way I act by modifying the way I believe by modifying the way I pray? Right. Um, and I just don't do that very well. I think that's human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a good thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind, right? It's one of those, like, it's good to know. It's it's because I would say perhaps part of the purpose of life is to work on this our whole lives. You know, like, it's yeah, it's a matter of perfecting as we go. We're, we're not going to get this right a, a whole lot of the time. And I would say things like virtue signaling or, or, you know, tweeting about something gives us that pretend facade of us doing something. And so... Yeah. Our whole lives are full of those things. Like, what can I do to make me feel yeah. like I'm doing the right thing? But really, it's not. And I mean, I could think of examples all day. Like, you know, you say you care about quality books, but instead you watch the movie. I mean, I'm I'm throwing myself under the bus there. I'm not like judging anybody. Totally. You know, there's all sorts of ways that we say one thing, <laughs> but we do another. Um, and so... Um, this is what I wrote about in Substack this week, this idea of, I, I love this, and I'm going to talk about this book a little bit more in a minute, but um, in the book, You Are What You Love by James K. A. Smith, um, mm-hmm. he, he argues that because we are worshipers, like in our core, if you are what you love and love is a habit, 
meaning like it's not just a feeling, it's a thing you do, then discipleship is a rehabituation of your loves. And so what he argues is like, that's kind of what we're here doing on earth a day at a time is we're rehabituating our loves, you know, over and over and over again. And I have to remember this, like even to my kids, you know, who I think are cool, like 85% of the time and then 15% of the times they're like yes. idiotic, immature, you know, what planet are you from beings that, oh yeah, these are people in progress just like me who, who you know, why would I expect totally. them to have their loves in, in order at age 15? That's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yes, I 100% <laughs> believe. And I think to your point too, um, like it's really important even as you look at that saying not to, you know, not to necessarily just apply it to the quote unquote spiritual life, right? It Like it's so many things. Like it affects, it, again, it affects like if you, if you say one thing and you're not doing it, then, then where's the gap? Where's the gap between living and belief? Where's the gap b- between believing in what you pray or believing in what you say? Yeah. Um, because it is so easy in this culture to say one thing and just to not live it out. So, you know, one of the things that I've done, you know, this, and I guess the listeners probably know this Nat, by now. Um, one of the things I've done over the last five, six years is I've served as an editor, a co-writer, a coach, um, for writers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I always say to them when they're talking about things they could say, you know, things that they want to address in a chapter, things that they want to write a book about, is I always say, well, that's, that's great that you want to do that, but what gives you the authority to say it? Right. Like, are you actually living it out? Like, because right now on the internet, anybody can say whatever they want any damn time. Yeah. Right. I can go on the internet right now on Twitter and say, you know, I just gave you know, a half a million dollars to the homeless shelter in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably get retweeted. People probably really love that. Yeah. They'd like say, hey, way to go. But w- did I really do it? Am I actually doing the thing that I say I'm doing? Am I actually serving? Do I actually go to rallies um, to support my black friends? Or do I just like virtue signal online? Um, you know, all these things. And 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 so what I always tell these these authors is, Hey, what are you doing that gives you the authority to write the thing that you're writing? Mm. Um, it's actually one of the reasons I loved uh, At Home in the World is because that book is actually a book about authority. Like you were writing from a place of deep authority because you went out and did the thing, and then mm. we're writing about the thing that you did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's that. It's it's always kind of a touchstone for me um, when I'm talking to authors. And if it is, then the next question is. Is it a touchstone of my own life? Mm-hmm. Do I keep coming back to that in my own life and saying, okay, this is the thing I want to say. This is the way I want to live. Um, these are the claims I want to make. Uh, but what gives me the authority to make those claims or to say those things? Yeah. Um, and to be really clear, there are a lot of people on the internet saying they do a lot of amazing things. And a lot of people assume they're virtue signaling and they ain't. They're actually doing the things. In fact, if they're not Um, on as much and they just every now and then pop in, that's probably because they're doing the thing. (laughs) They're busy living their offline lives. Because they're doing the thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you and I could give countless examples (laughs) of amazing people we know on the internet who encourage people to go do, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Start a business, feed the poor, you know, rally for um, ethnic reconciliation, eth- you know, racial reconciliation or re- uh, reconciliation across ethnicities. Um, 
and and we know that they're actually doing the thing and it's awesome to watch. Yeah. Um, but conversely, there are a lot of people out there vir- virtue signaling who are not living uh, the Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi, Lex Vivendi. You know, I did not make the connection between social media or the internet until you've brought this up, but it makes a lot of sense. This idea that um, what we, it, it's the reason that I think just infinite scrolling doesn't sit well with us in our core. We know that this isn't what we're made for. We're made, we're not yeah. made to tweet about serving the homeless. We're made to serve the homeless. And, yeah. and it, it gives us just enough of that dopamine satisfaction that makes us feel like we're doing something. And I connected the dots here again. Um, you know, it's, it's the beginning of a year and I revisit my rule of life. I added a phrase this year to my rule of life and I hadn't done that in a while. And what I wrote was to live within my temporal and physical restraints. I live as analog as possible using digital to enhance my real life. Now, for those of you who've taken the rule of life course, you know that you're writing these statements, not because you're good at them. It's because this is like, you're reminding yourself, these are the things that matter to you. So, you know, yep. do the Lex vivendi of your Lex arandi Um, But I say that because we have to remember that digital can't replace analog. It can only, I mean, it can to our detriment, to our, you know, to, to something horrible. And, but when digital is used to enhance our real life, then, Hey, it can be a force for good. It can remind people, yeah, go and do the thing in your communities that you're made to do. Um, And yeah, I'm with you. I can think of people who are doing an amazing job, even if they're, even if we're not talking about like social justice necessarily, we're just talking about doing your thing well, you know, like the person that comes to mind immediately when you say these things is Sean Smucker. Like he is the most faithful, diligent yeah, totally. writer I know. He just gets up and does the work day after day after day. And he's so good at it. And he even like snail mails writers to encourage them to keep doing their thing too. Like I cannot think of a, a less, no, I can't think of a more authentic person that embodies this, like this is what he believes. So this is what he does when it comes to the vocation yeah, of writing totally. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And again, like talking about internet personalities, um, there, there are plenty of them that we could point to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won't say all your names, but if you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> right. um, but the key reminder, the key takeaway for me is to remember that it is not Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, Lex Twiditi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it's right. not about tweeting. It's <laughs> not about social media. It's, yeah. It's about living it out. And yeah. um and that's the hard part, but it's the thing that we're called to do. And I think perhaps for those who are feeling this like itchy sweater that's on, that perhaps the Lexorandi part could be some kind of balm in that you don't necessarily have to like do the heavy lifting. You can do things like acknowledge that the Nicene Creed is there and has been there for like since 325. And even if you don't get it, like, even if you're like, that part makes absolutely no sense to me, but I'm going to say it that perhaps eventually in your bones, you will start believing it. You will get to the, um, yeah, Lex Credendi part, you know, it'll become a belief eventually if you Lex Arandi it. I like how we're totally butchering Latin here. Um, yeah. And if you're a Latin scholar and you're listening (laughs) to this, shut up. I know. Don't, don't. Don't email us. We don't need it. And you know, one hundred percent. And you know, one hundred percent. We have a Latin scholar listening because we're a bunch of nerds. I mean, you can't get more nerdy. Yeah, than Yeah, we are a bunch of nerds. 
And right now, somebody right now is like, you can't conjugate Latin that way. We know that. <laughs> we just don't know Latin. No, I know. I'm, well, speaking of nerd, I'm self-teaching myself Latin. I bought some books because that's sort of my, like, I want to learn Latin. And I think I've got like five nouns down and it's late January. So oh, this is going to be a long journey. But yeah, I haven't gotten to the part of how to conjugate Vivendi. So pardon. Mm. Yeah. Maybe it's going to happen. Maybe you'll learn that one day. One day. Uh-huh. But until that day, that's right. <laughs> Tish, tell me what is one thing that you are reading, listening to, watching, yada yada, <laughs> that is breeding, bringing some truth, beauty, or goodness to your life. Yeah. So there's okay. I'm going to name a book and a half because I already named one, which is "You Are What You Love" by James K. A. Smith. Mm, yes. So. I am reading that. This is one of those books I've had for a while, and I've read about half of it for utilitarian reasons, like someone wanted me to read chapters two or whatever, and and so I did, and I loved it. So I'm rereading it now. I met him in September at the Catholic Imagination Conference. He's not Catholic, but he's pretty ecumenical in his writing, and um, it's a great, great book, um, and I really recommend it. So if any of this that we've talked about resonates with you, I would say this is the next thing to unpack, like really read this and see what you think, because that's exactly what he gets at, that we are what we love. So I'm going to say that. And then I'm going to also say I am listening to a really well done audio version of the Brothers Karamazov. So this is a book that Mm. I've had on my TBR list forever, like probably 25 years and have not read it yet. Um, and so I do plan to actually also read with my eyes, but I looked online, found a really great audio version. It's not the free version. The free version isn't as good. This is the one you have to pay cash dollars for, but it is so well read. And because this is such a sweeping arc of a story, it's good to have a good reader. You know, you want to, yes. you want this to feel like story time. And I plan yeah, on the story totally. taking a while. I'm on book like four out of however many there are. In- oh boy. Yeah, I know. Such a good book though. It is very, very, very good. And I knew it would be because I like Dostoevsky, but it's really good. And I get, I get what all the fuss is. So, so, so one of my questions now is, do you have like a go-to reader? Is there someone who like, you're like, man, I love when that person is reading a book. Usually, and it's not this person. He has since passed away. I think he died in 2016. His name is uh, Ralph Kosham. He reads a lot of books out there. He's British and he's kind of like, oh, it's you again. Of course. Kind of guy. Of course it's British. Um, but uh, he, if anyone else is an Inspector Gamache fan, and I know you're out there because I've heard from you, he read the first, I want to say like 12 books in that series and then he passed away. Um, but he also reads a lot of C.S. Lewis books. He reads a lot of classics. He just shows up here and there and it's like, oh, it's you. You're my favorite. So I like him. I like a few others. I like Stephen Fry. I like Jim Dale. There is a theme. British guys. So British old men. Mm, You you and your old British men. That's that's really predictable. How about you? Do you have a reader you like? Uh, Ethan Hawke, hands down. Ooh, really? uh, He's such a good reader. Okay. Um, His version, uh, his reading of uh, Slaughterhouse-Five is maybe my favorite audiobook. Okay. Like I've listened to it several times. Yeah, yeah. And I I read the book yeah. um in high school and really really liked it. Maybe it was college, but I really loved it. All right. And then I needed a brain break once upon a time and yeah. I was like, "Oh, here's Ethan Hawke reading Slaughterhouse and I downloaded it and man, he is <laughs> so good." I can see that actually. I yeah, that feels like weird. a good pairing. 
Yeah, middle-aged white guys. Evidently, that's my <laughs> that's my version of your old British dudes. Yeah, yeah, I like it. All right, what about you? What's adding more beauty to yeah. your life these days? So I am reading uh, Louis Erdrich's Future Home of the Living God, hmm. and it is really, really well done. I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's sort of like a modern allegory, perhaps uh, dystopian. Marian allegory. Ooh. Maybe that's the genre that I would put that in. <laughs> Dystopian Marian allegory. Yeah, there's not a lot of competition uh, in that category, just, but I like it. There's not. There's not. Also, it's set on a in a Native American context, oh, okay. at least partially on a reservation. So huh. the the yeah the competition when you go that deep is like it's it's a it's it stands alone in its class. We should say that's cool. Um, but it is an outstanding book. Okay, I highly recommend it. All right. So far, nice. and I'm about 125, 130 pages in. So I think by the time we are talking next, I'll be cashed out and moved on. Is it new? No, it is not. Okay. In fact, it's a book that I got uh, years ago. I don't mm. even, I can't even tell you when it came out now. But I, I, I was in, I am in um, the Harvard, you know, book club, the signed first edition book club. Oh yeah, that may have actually been a different one, a different book club but anyway i got it in that um in that book club and at the time i was reading i may have been reading city on fire but i can't remember mm. but anyway yeah um okay which is another huge book i love but i just sat on my shelf and then i picked it up and i started reading it and i'm like oh man this is really good nice i'm actually looking it up and it was it was released in late 2017 so not super okay. old but yeah, it's not would- brand new yeah, not brand new. Not brand new. But it's it's very, very good. Nice. And I highly recommend it. All right. Very cool. I will add that to my list of that never ends of things to read. It <laughs> just goes on and on, my friends. It sure does. Okay. Well, it's time to wrap this one up already. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drinkwithafriend.com. And you can also find there how you can help support the show by picking up the next round of drinks. It's free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So at the cost of just a cup of coffee or a pint, you can help us keep it going. And we really, really, really appreciate it. A lot of you have been doing that lately, which is really cool. So thank you. And again, that's at a drinkwithafriend.com. And it's also in the show notes of this episode. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my Substack newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, how about you? You can find me at sethhaines.substack.com. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter. I'm Tish Oxenwriter with Seth Haynes, and we'll be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.